Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, as always, well, most of the time, almost always, episode 308, Thursday, August the 17th, 2023, and you are here, aren't you, Mark? I am in attendance, present and accounted for. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're going to make this super punchy, this episode, Mark. We've got a really good topic. Thank you very much to you, Mark, um, suggested this week. And we have three news stories, Mark, as opposed to our usual two. So we're mixing it up a bit, Mark. We are mixing it up a bit. And if any of our listeners have any news stories they want us to comment on, please email at vetgurus at gmail.com, vetgurus at gmail.com. And we love getting news articles. We have our little our researcher, Mark, who, who researches away um, quite diligently, um, usually providing articles every week. And But we can always do... Do with some new talent, Mark. <laughs> Our researcher oh, look, will not I, like I, that. Our researcher. I was just going to say that um, I think it's more, um, you know, we want to, you and I love talking about anything, but um, if people have an article or a journal article or a, a news article they want us to uh, bounce some ideas off, you know, we love the feedback, the direction. We do, we do. And... Hello to our researcher there. Um, I don't want to bag you, but you are the best. You are the best. He is the best. You know who you are, and um, we know who you are, and that's a good thing. Did he fall off his mower? Did I hear a story about an accident on the ride-on? Yes, apparently he um, was guffawing at a comment you made in a recent podcast, Mark, and we won't go into that (laughs) (laughs) because it's a little bit um, sensitive subject and uh, he quite enjoyed it though. So it's good to see that we provide some entertainment for at least some of the people that listen to our podcast, Mark. And with that, I think we should jump into the Aussie animal sounds, Mark. Yes. the poll finishes, well, I think as we go to air uh, on Thursday, the August 17th, I think the voting closes on, I think it closes the following day, the 18th or so, right. yes. So if you are listening to this podcast fresh within the first 12, 24 hours, then you may want to head to the link we have here for this. And this is a poll for the top 10 Aussie animal sounds, and they've whittled down to the top 10 mark. There was lots and lots of um, animal noises um, that people voted on, and they've got down to the final 10 after more than 90,000 votes. I expect it's around about 100,000 now, and there was 28 animals selected by the experts, Mark, um, and then they've narrowed them down to the 10. So I'm going to quickly run through the 10, and I'll be very interested to see which one you voted for, Mark. So the and as I say, that's still open for the next 24 hours. Banjo frog, black cockatoo, the boo book, 
butcher bird. Gee, lots of birds in here, mate. Yeah, cicada, yeah. cicada, uh, fairy wren, kookaburra, lyrebird, magpie, and whip bird. So, gee, birds are represented. Yes, lots of birds, apart from the ones that aren't marked. So, which um, I'm dying to find out which one did you vote for as the well, classic my- Aussie sound? Bubble bonk. Oh, the popple bonk. Yes. I tell you what, I was close to going for the popple bonk. It is a is a classic. And it's a perfectly um perfect um description of the frog mark. Um the popple bonk or the banjo frog. Um it, uh, I tell you what I went for, Mark. The magpie. The magpie. <laughs> I went for the magpie because I I I've got very many, many me- memories of waking up. In the bush, or not even in the bush, Mark, and having magpies chortling in the morning, Mark, and I think it's a, a real Aussie sound, the magpies chortling away, and I, I I voted for the magpie, but I was very close to going for the pobble bonk as well, Mark. I think I'd narrowed it down to three. That was those two, and I'm trying to remember what the other one was. Oh, perhaps the kookaburra, but I thought that was too... too um, too Aussie, <laughs> too, too I'm stereotypical. Also, I'm perfectly happy to tell you that uh, one of the 18 that was cut from the 28, in fact, number 13, the barking owl, I've been um, actually practising to call this species of Ninox in to our campsite. Um, they're the most common owl up here, and so I'm regularly going, all through the night to get them to come in. Oh, and uh, what does your lovely wife think of that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there we go. So uh, we'd be interested if anybody else has voted in this poll for the favourite Aussie animal sound. And uh, we will report back perhaps next week, Mark, if you the remind winner. me of yeah. the animal that became the winner. And the winning sound will be announced in a live blog on Friday the 18th of August. So there we go. Okay. So I'm going to jo- – oh, do you want to take yeah, yeah, your well, news story? Bounce yep. my news story. Um, it's a follow-up. We talked about this a little bit, um, I think, on some correspondence we had uh, uh, eight or ten shows ago. Um, this is uh, from the American Journal of Infection Control. It's the impact of methods and duration of surgical hand scrub on bacterial count, a randomised control trial. Um, it uh, is from 2021. Um, and this, I, I was really, it sort of doesn't necessarily make me happy, but data is data, Brendan, and we've got to take yes. it into account. Um, so uh, 180 surgeons, surgical uh, surgeons and surgical nurses um, performed hand scrubs with a variety of variations, uh, either lasting for one minute or two minutes. Uh, they used a nail brush or not. Um, the, uh, they uh, did uh, bacterial counts by using the glove juice method, which sounded a bit 
<laughs> a bit icky. Yes. <laughs> um, but the, um, the upshot of this was that uh, the study found that brushing uh, during surgical hand scrub increased the number of bacteria on the hands. Uh, I'm not sure that, uh, that I would have intuitively guessed that to be the case. And additionally... Um, one-minute surgical hand scrubs was as effective as two-minute scrubs in reducing the number of bacteria on the hand. So, geez, I, I, I don't, still don't think I would um, not scrub my hands, um, but maybe I'm not using a brush. Is that the take-home message here, Brendan? I'm not sure, Mark, with this one. I am not sure. It's a, an interesting study, interesting conclusion as well, Mark. Um, what, the thing that really stood out for me with this, Mark, is the, the comment in the, in the little synopsis there, the background there, stating yeah. that there is no standard protocol for surgical scrubbing. So, the, you know... Are they saying it's all made up, Mark, of those people? Do you remember the days? Remember those days, Mark, when you were a student and the scrub Nazis would um, I do. hassle you and you'd be you'd head into surgery half an hour later after fumbling and bumbling, scrubbing to your nails almost bleed and then and, putting and on the gown and, and the mask. And, with not doing it perfectly. And by the time you get in there, you're tripping over the long gown that you've got on, you're sweating like a pig, and you get into the surgical suite and the, the castration's finished uh, when you get in there. It was um, stressful, wasn't it? Um, very stressful. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, Mark, about this one. Um, very interesting, very interesting. Um, I think we mentioned when we... When we spoke about this with our correspondent, this correspondent um, that these days I just use the surgical um, rub as my um, as my method of surgical prep. Mark the yep. um, the alcohol rub um, rather than the traditional chlorhexidine scrub solution. Um, so. Um, touch wood we tend not to have any problems with that and as a rule i do not um, particularly scrub my hands um i rub them um i might give them a little a, a little minor sort of scrub for the first one of the day um with with some hand soap etc and, and wash my hands and scrub a tiny bit first and then it's the rub technique but yeah i'd be interested in, in any comments from our listeners mark about um, their, especially their on how they think the bacterial number I've got some ideas, but I'd be interested in other people's ideas about why the bacterial count in the increases. glove juice increases. <laughs> yeah, you got to keep away from the glove juice, Mark. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> all right, I think with that, I'm going to. Mine's a very quick one, uh, but I thought it was quite interesting. Uh, ants building nest hills to help show the way home, Mark, and it's about desert ants living in Tunisia, mm. in featureless salt pans they their ant nests they think based on a little study they did a little experiment that uh, when they get close to their little one or two meter tall ant nest that they can see them mark um, they use it to navigate back home on these featureless salt plains and they know that ants um, use 
the sun's position and count in their steps, apparently, to keep track of where they are relative to their nest. Um, but that system becomes unreliable as the distance increases from the nest mark. And other ants, including some desert ants, rely on sight and smell mark um, so that they realise that these ants in the salt pans had much higher nest hills than some of the similar um, ants along the shoreline mark um, didn't have very high um, nests and they sort of did an experiment with those two different little subspecies or colonies mark and uh, yeah. they found that the ants from the salt pans struggled if they ended up um, wrecking their nests and not having that nest that they could see as they're heading home um, and vice versa. So interesting one, Mark. So their sight must be reasonably good then if they can see. What do you reckon that's equivalent of, Mark, um, coming <laughs> going with it a couple of metres of, of that little ant hill if you're a little ant? Um, do you reckon they've got better than 2020 vision, Mark? Ant vision? I do. I, do. I reckon they do have better than 2020 ant vision. Um I, I think there would be a significant component of um, chemical messengers like they, they yes. make. But, but, yeah, I've got no doubt that being able to perceive something on the horizon, the silhouette of something different, um, yeah, that's amazing. Yes. So there you go. That was a, a fun story, Mark, um, a little bit of a positive one and a really nice, and we will link to this at vetgurus.com, a really nice a macro picture there, Mark, of one yeah. of the forager ants. Uh, not as good as your macro pictures, but <laughs> good nevertheless. And I think with that, we'll jump into our main news story, our main topic this week, Mark, which is pneumonia in rabbits. Gee, you've chosen a good one there, a, a really um, easy one to treat, hey, Mark, um, and to deal with and to diagnose. Um, and the prognosis <laughs> is fantastic. So uh, I think with that, we'll get out of here. Okay, so. <laughs> it is it's a good one to talk about. Because, I think it um, is, Mark, because it's. I, I think it's one that people, or some people, stress out about and panic about and and feel anxious about um, when they have a rabbit that has potentially has been diagnosed with pneumonia and not not. Um, I can understand why. So let's jump into it. Um, it is well. Uh, I think you've put down, you've done the dot points this week, haven't you, Mark? That I have for once. Co common but often well advanced. Um, so what do you mean by that, Mark? Let's walk well, through I, it. I, I commonly see cases of pneumonia in rabbits. Um, they're uh, rabbits that are presented um, uh, coughing. They have a strange cough, don't they? It's a much abbreviated, um, you know, it's not the, the sort of thing you'd expect from a dog or a cat or a human. It's a, a little bumpy, short thing, because of, probably because of the shape of their airways and the size of their lungs. Um, but they're dyspneic, they're having trouble breathing, often profound uh, ventilatory excursions. And those rabbits I often see presented, um, and, uh, and, and they are advanced. The, the disease process has gone on um, for some time at the time they're presented. So that's the typical thing for me, that... Um, I, um, I'm always trying to encourage my rabbit clients to pounce on things, whether it's uh, abdominal disease or thoracic disease, to to um, 
to bring them into me as early as possible. And, and then I'm fairly aggressive at, particularly if I think pneumonia is a problem, I really get stuck into the diagnostics early. Uh, I find that it is difficult to diagnose, um, that there are some confounding conditions and confounding factors. And the yep. more diagnostics you do early, the the uh, the better the chance you can make wise decisions about the direction to head in. Yep. And unfortunately, being the prey species that rabbits are, Mark, um, it is often advanced and that pneumonia is well well established sometimes when we when we diagnose it as you're hinting at there. So what sorts of we'll jump around a little bit, what sorts of bugs do we see in these? I know we're jumping straight to causes there, Mark, but what sort of bacterial pathogens do we see? Well, it's a good question, Brendan, because, geez, when I graduated, it was just assumed that mm, most, if not all, rabbit respiratory disease was attributable to uh, Pastorella multicida. Um, and, you know, I was guilty as a recent graduate of uh, just diagnosing it on you know, without any tests or anything and treating um, accordingly. Um, but I've, as I have looked at the bacteria, the type of bacteria um, that have been isolated from respiratory disease, from pneumonia in rabbits, um, it becomes apparent that um, Pastorella multicida holds no special place amongst the pantheon of organisms that cause a problem, which also include Bordetella, um, the usual suspects, Brendan, um, Bordetella, E. coli, Pseudomonas, Streps and Staphs, Moraxella bovis, um, and Yersinia pseudotuberculosis. All uh, have been cases, I've had cases of um, uh, rabbit pneumonia with uh, all of those organisms. Um, and of course, there's not just uh, bacteria. Um, uh, we definitely have... While rabbits are probably a little bit more resistant to Aspergillus than, than uh, my avian friends are, I certainly have had uh, Aspergillomas in rabbit lungs. And, um, and Toxoplasmosis uh, will often manifest as an uh, um, inflammation of the, the lung tissue in rabbits. Um, so that's part of the reason I think getting diagnostic testing done um, they're not all, all pastorella you need to uh, get a handle on the organism that's causing a problem a pantheon mark I like that <laughs> and I often say to clients your rabbit's got to be into the pantheon it's, had, it's got a pantheon of bugs in it Could have. yes a, one of the many from the pantheon and I think that's part of the difficulty, Mark, with dealing with this particular problem in this species, Mark, is that we might have multiple organisms there and those organism, organisms may have been sat there for a while as well. And they're tricky little buggers to get rid of, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how do we go about diagnosing it, Mark? You mentioned it's, it's quite t tricky and we may be diagnosing it at a very late stage. Um, how, do, how do we increase the chance of picking up a pneumonia in a rabbit a bit well, er earlier than we typically would? Step one is to slow down with your physical exam and, and do an absolutely detailed and thorough, complete physical exam. Um, and 
And while we know the thorax of rabbits is much smaller proportionately uh, than, than similar sized animals that we might normally deal with, a cattle or whatever, for example, um, you can still make a, a very thorough effort at um, auscultating that chest and the sounds will give you lots of clues about uh, the nature of the problem that's going on in the chest and so that thorough auscultation is an absolute critical component. Additionally, um, there, there certainly is a primary uh, pneumonia where the rabbit breathes a bug in and it gets a pneumonia but very often that bug may be delivered to the respiratory tract because it's um you know there's an abscess in the mouth or uh, there's a rhinitis a, an infection in the nasal cavity and then it drains down into yeah. the respiratory tract and so um, your examination shouldn't be restricted to the respiratory tract it should pay attention to all those other locations and we certain I certainly have seen cases of uh, that I have um, uh, uh, um, been certain it's been a hematogenous spread, uh, an abscess in a spleen that then has um, uh, led to a pneumonia. So um, a good thorough physical exam, but then very quickly I move on to those diagnostic imaging tests, particularly taking radiographs. I find that um, the changes in the lungs, the change in uh, radio opacity and the patterns within the lungs can give me some very good clues about what I should do next. Um, obviously, uh, blood work to uh, assess whether we have white cell changes that might indicate to us that there is a bacterial infection. Um, and finally, uh, um, finally, I would um, make sure that uh, I, if I have the rabbit anaesthetized to take radiographs, I would certainly consider doing a bronchoalveolar lavage to harvest um, some uh, material from the uh, smaller airways um, and consider trying to get a, a culture and sensitivity at that very earliest stage. So there's a lot to do with them when they first come in. And then they might be dead by the time you've done all that, Mark. You've got to get in there, get going. No, you're, crazy. you're absolutely spot on there. And radiographs, I think, are the hallmark of trying to narrow things down early on with these, Mark. And uh, I will post a radiograph of a pneumonia in a rabbit in the show notes, Mark, um, as the as the title photo, uh, title pic, Mark, will be a radiograph of a of rabbit pneumonia. And auscultating the market, as, as usual, we need to um, take our time, as you mentioned, be in a quiet room because you're listening to a little chest in a, a little mammal and there's lots of noise around. You're potentially going to miss those obvious um, signs or less obvious <laughs> signs um, that um, something is going on there. So um, take your time as you quite rightly mentioned mark and do a logical thorough workup with them so what do we do mark um if we've taken a radiograph we've done some bloods i presume we're going to do that as well um what's our next step look i think um uh given the frequency of uh bacterial uh, pneumonia I, I don't think it's a bad thing to begin your initial supportive care, maybe even some oxygen therapy, uh, nebulizing 
initially with uh, with um, saline to make breathing easier and break up any um, mucus and congestion in the lungs. All that supportive care. Um, but I would, uh, um, in many of these cases, before I get the culture and sensitivity results back, particularly if I have, say, a bronchial villavage which reveals some bacteria in the in the um, the, the uh, sample from the respiratory tract. I would probably start most of these guys on trimethoprimosulfur until I get the culture and sensitivity tests. I'm always cautious about which antibiotic to use in rabbits. Obviously, dysbiosis is a, a, a serious concern and we have to interpret any antibiogram, uh, antibiotic um, uh, sensitivity test with, uh, with that in mind. Um, and particularly we have to keep it in mind because uh, my experience is once we start them on antibiotics, we are often talking about a prolonged course before there's, um, uh, I can reasonably consider a, um, a, a cure. Uh, I know we talked about uh, Dr. Hyman's uh, antibiotic guide, um, the principles to using antibiotics in exotic species. That was a wonderful uh, webinar from a few weeks ago. Um, and I think uh, trying to use antibiotics for the shortest period you possibly can to affect a cure is a good thing. But uh, these pneumonia cases, I'm often, um, you know, something between four and 12 weeks are the time frames that we're, we're uh, um, we're expecting before we uh, reach a clinical conclusion. Yes, and unfortunately, we may not have that length of time, may we, Mark, um, with these because they're um, quite difficult to get under control with them. Um, just going back one little step, um, the you mentioned bronchoalveolar lavage, Mark. Do you want to chat just a little bit more detail about the use of that in rabbits and the potential risks and, oh. ben and benefits <laughs> <laughs> well uh, um, the the um the, the the risks i suppose are um that you're going to the whole principle with bronchial lavage is to have an anesthetized animal intubated pass a, a fine catheter um a red rubber catheter maybe um uh, down to the um uh, terminal bronchi um, to instill a small amount of saline and then harvest some of it back. I'm constantly surprised in other species how much you can put into the lungs, um, even disease lungs, and not compromise the animal significantly. But I am um, always have to be reminded that um, rabbits just don't have the same uh, significant lung tissue uh, for their body size um, and so you have to be a little bit careful about um, uh, overdoing the the uh, volume of fluid um, and, uh, and and compromising their yeah, it's 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 a balance isn't it um, I mean what I was hinting at is that it's a it's just sort of hit on it's a potentially a bit more risky in in these guys compared with um, some of the other species we deal with, yeah. Um, so it's try, trying to decide how important it is it to get that sample. And there are, I suppose, sometimes we can manage to get away with trying to get a bit of a, a sample from that chest by, for instance, a, a, an aspirate, um, a fine needle aspirate mark or equivalent from um, 
pop in a little needle um, laterally uh, at the dependent part of the chest and um, I've occasionally managed to get a sample that that cultures up okay um, that way but yeah it's a it is a challenge isn't it because we're we're dealing with an animal that's often extremely compromised anyway and uh, we're trying to do diagnostics that um, hopefully increase the chance of saving its life by providing appropriate antibiosis for it. And the speaking of... Just before, the yes. difficult thing I find in that process is not... It's um, the usual thing with um, any uh, gaining access to the larynx and trachea of any rabbit that um, that it's not a very simple process. It often involves um, in... In, it often involves time, um, and that may be something that you don't necessarily have a lot of while they're anaesthetised. Um, and so uh, that that's the key thing. I, I am guilty of at times becoming so uh, focused on the procedure, trying to get the, uh, um, the endotracheal tube in place and ventilate them and then get the... Uh, BAL, um, that that takes a whole bunch of time. And I think that's the key thing, just being very strict. We're going to do this. If we haven't done it in um, 35 seconds, we're not going yep. to do it. Yep, yep. And speaking of keeping them alive, Mark, um, supportive care. Well, the, the two things I find most useful in these cases in the short term are um, oxygen supplementation and um, and often uh, some anxiolytic medication um, that uh, the the rabbits are distressed because they cannot get enough uh, oxygen through to their um, their circulatory system via the lungs, and they're panicking. Um, and so uh, calming them down with maybe some midazolam. Um, and putting them in an oxygen-rich environment. They're the, they're the first steps uh, in an emergency situation. But then once we get past that, um, we've got to look at um, fluid therapy, managing their nutritional intake, um, supplementary feeding them. Um, and, um, and I have had great success with uh, nebulizing them um, uh, that uh, first, in the first instance, uh, provides that um, very small amount of moisture, which humidifies the airways and allows uh, mucus to be expectorated um, and enhances the quality of the mucous membranes for uh, immune function and, and uh, uh, cellular immunity. But um, uh, later on, it also is an excellent way to deliver some of the medications in there, there may be antibiotics that we could um, nebulize into the airways and gain a much higher concentration um, more easily than um, than delivering them um, parenterally, and they're, they're risking a greater chance of dysbiosis. Yep, excellent summary there, Mark. Now, not to be a downer, a Debbie downer. I I'm think a lot of anything about Debbie. Uh, Dennis Downer, thank you very much. Um, I think a lot of these early on in the course of the um, process of determining that we have a potential or we have confirmed a pneumonia, um, we often need to have a little chat to the owners, don't we, Mark? 
like about the, the, the quality of life and, and costs. And I think it's not unreasonable with some of these to, to make a decision earlier on than we would with other conditions and deciding that may, maybe it's time to um, call it quits. Certainly it's one of the ones where you need that communication with the client, you need their commitment, you need to be talking about um, uh, a multimodal treatment that's going to go on for some weeks and obviously that's not um, possible for some clients and and as you said, if that uh, that's the case and we come to it to that decision early, then quality of life concerns might dictate that we go no further. Yep. Brendan, I've been caught a couple of times in my in my ever expanding ignorance, um, identifying a pneumonia when um, when the real <coughs> problem with the rabbit has been the um, the, the cecum that uh, um, conditions such as uh, serious sequel conditions, impactions, and mucoid enteropathy are well known to precipitate um, a pneumonia, a sterile pneumonia, um, that may well end up being the primary reason the rabbit is presented. And, and I definitely have been caught trying to work up a rabbit uh, that presented with all the signs of pneumonia that did have a pneumonia, um, I discovered at post-mortem. Um, um, but the underlying problem um, was a... Uh, uh, a, um, a lower bowel problem that uh, no one knows exactly why this happens, um, but um, it's a well-recognised phenomenon in rabbits that uh, uh, sterile pneumonia, there must be some inflammatory chemicals to which the, the lung tissue is uh, uh, particularly sensitive that are, is produced by the large bowel. And, um, and so it's caught me a couple of times, Brenda, and I thought I'd just mention it today. Very interesting, and I'd also like to quickly mention about you met in your little dot notes. You do mention other conditions and that as well, and one that always jumps out for me, being a rabbit, is the entire females mark um, that have oh, have the call. uterine neoplasia that's also spread to the chest, and then we may have a, mix, a, a, a secondary pneumonia going on there as well. Um, I mean, they are pretty dramatic, those chest metastases, aren't they, when we do get those uterine ones that are spread there. But the presenting signs, uh, the, those clinical signs, may be similar to a classic bacterial pneumonia with those. Um, so I always think female rabbit, not de-sexed, anything over two or three years of age, start um, thinking uterine issues is part of the reason why it's presenting in the clinic mark for an illness if you think like that you'll more often be right than wrong brendan <laughs> well it wasn't a particularly um happy topic was it pneumonia and rabbits but i think it's one that uh as i said at the outset that a lot of people stress out about um not unsurprisingly and uh it's getting back to basics, isn't it, Mark, is what you really um, have, have stressed in your um, summary of this um, group of conditions in rabbits, Mark. Any final comments before we get Mr. Outro to jump in? No, let him sing, Brendan, let him sing. We'll talk to you all next week. 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thanks.